Well, it is good to be in God's house with you today, whether you're here with us on campus or whether you're with us online today. We're in the middle of a series that we've entitled More Than a Story. And it made me kind of begin to ask the question, have you ever walked in on a conversation and not caught all of it, but then you catch part of it and you think, oh, I know what's going on, but you don't really know what's going on? I mean, a, a, a few weeks ago, um, back in December, uh, I, I, was, um, I was over at Anderson University enjoying myself immensely because the Anderson University men's basketball team was, was beating Hanover College. Now, I know I've got a few Hanover alums here at Eastside. I love you, but I love beating Hanover. Because when I was an athlete at Anderson University, we never beat Hanover at anything. So I've been waiting all these years, so I'm basically living cathartically through the current athletes. And they're beating Hanover, it's not even close, it's a good game for us. And as, I, as, I'm, uh, as, I'm, as I'm enjoying all of that, I, I, I go home and I'm so excited because I'm gonna walk in the house, and I walk in the house and get this, I look at the television, my wife is watching the Colts game. It's, it's the, near the end of the third quarter of the Colts game, and the Colts are winning, which was a rarity this fall, and they're winning by like, I want to say three touchdowns. It's like, it, the score is, is, is like 38 to like 17 or something. And, and I'm like, wow, they're winning. My wife looks at me and goes, no, they're not. I said, no, really, the, the look, the score. She goes, no, you don't understand. When they started at halftime, they were ahead 38 to three. They are about to lose this game. The woman is a prophetess, all right? Because not only did they lose the game, but they set an NFL record for the biggest comeback against a team in the history of the league, right? And some of you know that, but here's the deal. When I walked in, I'm walking into the middle of the story and I think I know what, what's going on and I don't have a clue. And I tell you that because there are some stories from the Bible that are so popular in Western culture that we think we know the story. But the fact of the matter is, we, we don't know because we're walking into the middle of it. And this morning, I wanna take one of those stories and I, I wanna help you see the entire story because if you see the entire story, it has more meaning, it has more depth, it might, it might even apply to you. But if you leave it as a cultural story, if you leave it as something that, that has been out in the culture and you think you know, then, then the fact of the matter is you're gonna miss the real meaning. The, the parable, the story, is commonly referred to as the story of the Good Samaritan. Most of you, if you've been to church or if you've lived in the United States, you think you know that story because it's a story Jesus told, right? about a guy who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and as he's going down, he's set upon by thieves, and as he's set upon by the thieves, they beat him, take everything he's got, and leave him on the side of the road for dead. And then this priest walks by, and everybody expects the priest to help the man, but he doesn't help the man. And then a Levite walks by, and everybody expects the Levite to help the man, but he doesn't help the man. But then a Samaritan walks by. And the Samaritan is not Jewish. He doesn't worship the same temple in Jerusalem. He's not on a holy pilgrimage. He's a businessman and he's on that road doing business. And, and as he comes down that road, he, 
he sees the Jewish man on the side of the road and instead of going on the other side of the road, you know the story, right? He gets off of his donkey, goes over, bandages the man up, takes the man into town, puts him in the, in, in the closest inn that he could find where he knows the owner and makes arrangements for him. Now, we all think we know that story. I used to love telling that story when I was a youth pastor to junior high kids. We would act it out, all right? I mean, we would, we would get up on the platform, we'd get volunteers, and junior high kids loved this story. Now, nobody wanted to volunteer to be the man who got beat up. But everybody wanted to volunteer to be the robbers. It was like, in seventh grade, boys were like, yeah, let me beat on my friend, okay? And so they would, they'd, and we'd walk by and they'd jump on them and they'd beat them up. And yeah, that was, you know, and, and, now no, listen, if that's all you know about the story, you miss the whole thing. Because this story happens in the middle of a conversation. It's a conversation between Jesus and a lawyer. Now, I want to say very quickly, when you're reading the New Testament and it says a lawyer, for those of you who are attorneys, I know there are a few attorneys in our midst today. Listen, he's not talking about you. This is a, this is a religious position. These are mosaic lawyers. These are, these are guys who are schooled in the law of Moses. They're a part of the religious system, just like the priest and the Levite. And, and so the lawyer has been asking Jesus a question. And this morning what I want to do is I, I want to I, I read you the context. I want to read you the question. And I want to invite you to journey with me to understand what in the world Jesus is really trying to say to this, this man who's asking him this really, really important question. Listen, as I read, the, the scriptures will be on the screen, but I'm reading from Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start at verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read the law? And the man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your might and your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live forever. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Oh, man. Did, did, did you catch that? He... he, he He's trying to trip Jesus up. Jesus asked him, how do you read the law? He gives the exact right answer. And when he gives the exact right answer, he then looks over and Jesus says, good, you got it. Go with it. But then he wants to justify himself. Basically, what, he, what he's trying to do is, is to save face in front of these other people because Jesus has just said, hey, look, you know what to do to have eternal life. You just got to do it. But then the man says, well, then who is my neighbor? I, I love the translation of that word neighbor by a German theologian named Joachim Intermeus in a book entitled The Parables of Jesus. 
And what Yeremia says to us is this, is that the term neighbor in the English doesn't really kind of really fulfill what the question was coming out of that social context. Because you see, we look at the term neighbor and we think of like someone who's in geographic proximity to us. Like my neighbor lives next door to me, all right? Or my neighbor lives down the street from me or my neighbor lives in the same county with me. They're, they're my neighbor. But the real essence of the question was not who is my neighbor. The essence of the question is who is my companion? Who is the person I'm supposed to do life with? Who is the person that I'm supposed to connect with? Who is, who is it that I'm supposed to love? I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I'm supposed to love this other person the same way I love myself. And so, Jesus, who is that? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, who is that person? And here's why, here's why that's so important. It's so important because, because if you're not doing what you know to do, if you're, if you're not understanding what you have been given to understand, then you're missing the entire commandment. And what, what we've got here is, is a situation, as one fellow would say, what we have here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> because mistakenly, this man was trying to delineate between human beings. I love these human beings, I don't love them. In fact, culturally in that era, the, the religious system, for instance, every Jewish man knew that he was supposed to love Jewish people but not Romans. Every, every Pharisee thought that, that they should love other Pharisees but there were certain people even within their, own Jewish, within their own Jewish heritage that they shouldn't love. They didn't have to love them because they weren't as spiritual as they were or they weren't as 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 well-educated as they were, or they weren't as rich as they were. And so when this man's asking the question, he's not asking a geographic question, who is my neighbor? He's asking, who am I supposed to live in relationship toward? And what Jesus does when he answers him is Jesus answers him and says, hey, listen, you're supposed to do this, and Jesus chooses to tell the story. Now, why, why does Jesus do that? Tell this story about Levites and priests and Samaritans because he's wanting the man to understand and wanting all of us to comprehend what love really is and who we're really called to love. And I can't think of a, of a, of a better question for us to answer on this Martin Luther King birthday weekend in this nation. Because we live in a very divided world. We've got people who say, well, you should love these people, but not these people. You should be nice to these people, but not these people, based on the color of their skin or the, or the language that they speak or, or based on their, their educational background or based upon any number of different ways that we delineate among people. But, but what Jesus is saying to this man who said, hey, how can I have eternal life? What he's saying to him is, hey, you've got to know something. You, you've got to know that that there's more to it than just the information. I mean, look at the question again. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Why does Jesus say that? Because Jesus knows that information does not transform us. 
We live in a generation that has more information available at the tip of our fingers, through our phones, through our tablets, through our computers, through anything that we've got. We, we can find more information now than any other generation of people in the history of humanity. In fact, information is coming at us at such a speed right now that there's more information that is shared with us in one year than in the previous 100 years, if you're talking about just pure information. It's information overload. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you already know what to do. I mean, the man answered the question. He had the information. He quoted the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, fine, you got it, do it. Well, wait a minute. Just because I know it doesn't mean I want to do it. See, that's the context of the story of the Good Samaritan. There are many of us who know exactly what we're supposed to do. We know exactly how we're supposed to live. We get it. It's in our heart. It's in our brain. We have the information, but we don't have the love. We don't have the mercy. See, that, that, that's why Jesus said, all right, you got it. Go, go do it. But see, information doesn't transform us. And then Jesus starts the story. And very quickly in the story, he lets us know something else. Look, look at the story with me. And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about 3,200 feet in elevation. So going down, he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho on this windy road. And he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, here's what it is. A priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he passed, came to the place and saw him and passed by the other side. Now, the people who were hearing this the first time, they're, they're like, oh, right. A lawyer of Moses' law has asked the question. Jesus is telling a story, and now he's about to really let the religious establishment have it. Because here's a, here's a priest who's from the tribe of Aaron. Here's a Levite from the tribe of Levi. The priests were the ones who did all the action in the temple. They performed the sacrifices. They did all of that. And the Levites, the Levites were the people who helped them. And so, so the crowd is going, oh, man. Jesus is about to just, just really just let the religious establishment have it. I'll be honest with you. There are people who, who quote this scripture to me about church people all the time because I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor my entire adult life. Multiple times in my life, I've had, I've had people who don't go to church, people who don't claim Jesus Christ, but they know this story. And they'll be like, well, what does your church do for the people on the side of the road? Now, here's what I want to say to them, a whole lot more than you do, but that's me. I just want to say, hey, a whole lot more. But, 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 but the fact is, if we do that, we're still missing the story. Because you see, it's not just that information doesn't, doesn't transform us. It doesn't have the power to transform us. Religious ritual doesn't make us right before God. I want you to hear that. You may have never thought you were going to hear that from a pastor. But listen to me. Going to church, putting money in the boxes, 
giving online, all of which are wonderful things, that, that, that doesn't make you right with God. See, those things come as a result of you being right with God. Reading your Bible every day. Taking time to listen to the people around you. Loving people. Listen, going and doing all the religious rituals doesn't change your life at all. Here's a little known historical fact for you. During the great revivals in this country in the 19th century, in the 1800s, did you know that the level, the number of out-of-wedlock pregnancies would increase after the revivals left town? Because the religious fervor of the moment created something inside the people that they didn't know what to do with, so they translated it into sex. See, religious rituals do not, do not make you right with God. Jesus makes you right with God. Mercy makes you right with God. Now, should we have church services? Yes. Why? To give God glory, to give God praise, to let him cleanse all that stuff out of us. But we need to understand the purpose of our gathering is to connect with God. The purpose of our gathering is to learn more about how we live for him, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday and Sunday too. See, this, this thing called Christianity, it's not a religion that you do, it's a life that you live. And, and, and what we've got to understand, the reason Jesus tells the story and says, okay, there was a Levite, there's a priest, they go by, and everybody listens to him. They, they get that. They're used to these kind of stories from rabbis and teachers. And so when they say that, they're like, okay, here we go. He's going he's gonna to really put it on somebody. And then Jesus does this amazing thing. He flips the script. He, he flips the script. You, you, you know the story, right? Because when he... What he does is, he turns it from a, from a thing about, about what it means to be religious and about what it means to have the information and what do I do to have eternal life. No, he now he, he turns it to a who are you question. Because you see, mercy sees past all human division. And so what Jesus does is he starts the story where people expect him to, priest, Levite, passing by the man on the side of the road, because they're, for whatever reason, either they're too busy, if maybe they're on their way, although it says they were going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, so they've already completed their religious duty. But for whatever reason, they don't want to touch him. They don't want to be a part of him. Maybe, maybe they had some vows going. We, we don't know what their reason was, but, but here's what he does. He says, look, they, they, they leave the guy there. And then he, then he begins to tell them that there's a Samaritan a Samaritan. And the Samaritan, now why, why, would that, why would that rock their world? Because listen, Samaritans, Samaritans were people who had some Jewish background, but when the Jewish people were taken away into Babylon, there were some who were left, and those who were left didn't stay true to their faith, and they intermarried with other religions and other nations, and, and then the pure Jewish people looked down on them. Because the, the Samaritans felt as if they should worship at one place and the Jewish people said, no, no, you worship in Jerusalem. And what took place was, the reason this was such a, a volatile story when Jesus told it is because just a few years earlier before Jesus was in ministry, a group of Samaritans had broken into the temple in Jerusalem and it would have been when Jesus was a boy and they took dead people's bones <laughs> 
and scattered them throughout the temple in Jerusalem, which desecrated the temple. All, the Jewish people were not happy with Samaritans. You read these things where Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman or Jesus is talking to a Samaritan village or Jesus is walking through Samaria. You gotta know he's ticking everybody off. And now in this story, they're not expecting him to bring a Samaritan into the story. And a Samaritan, someone that these people despised, somebody that these people didn't like, somebody that these people felt was wrong and they would never affiliate with him, they are never gonna be my neighbor. They're never gonna be my companion. We're never gonna do this because they're too different from me. And Jesus says, well, look what he says. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And then he went to the man on the side of the road who had been left for dead, and he bound up his wounds. And this man was probably not carrying a first aid kit. So to bind up his wounds, he probably had to take some of his own clothing or some of his own merchandise and create the bandages. And he pours on oil and wine. Why oil and wine? Because the wine would, the wine would actually act as a disinfectant for the, brute, for the cuts. And then the, the, the oil would act to coagulate the blood. And so what he's doing is he's, he, he's going over, he's taking care of the man, he's administering first aid. Then he takes the man and puts him on his, on his donkey and, and then brought the man to an inn and there continued to take care of him. And the next day, he takes out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Then Jesus turns and looks at the lawyer. Which of these three, priest, Levite, Samaritan, proved to be a companion, a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, then go and do likewise. See, mercy, mercy transforms us. Mercy makes us right before God. Mercy sees past the human divide, the human division. A few years ago, one of my nephews was playing baseball in the state finals in Alabama for high school baseball. And my mother was still alive at the time and she wanted to see her grandson play ball. She had, she had seen him growing up when he was little and, and now he's in high school and he's playing in the state finals. And so I, I did a driving Miss Daisy trip <laughs> and took my elderly mother with Parkinson's and ever, several other health issues and drove her from Anderson, Indiana, to Montgomery, Alabama, to watch her grandson play ball. And, and I kind of wanted to go because I, I've always read a lot of material from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose first church was in Montgomery, Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. And my brother, who lives in Alabama, said, oh yeah, that church is not far from, not far from the stadium where we're gonna play ball. So I was looking forward to the trip between games. I'd drive over and kind of walk around the church there. And, and as we pulled up to the municipal stadium, on the back of the stadium was a large, huge, big medallion. It said, seal of the city of Montgomery. 
And maybe, maybe you've been there, maybe you've seen this. I had never seen it, never crossed my mind before. The city seal, huge city seal. And, and it was a big circle and, and around it was seal of the city of Montgomery. And then there's a star, a six-pointed star in the middle. And in the middle of the six-pointed star, it said cradle of the Confederacy. I'm like, oh boy, I've seen this before. But then right around those stars, right around those stars were these words birthplace of civil rights. Cradle of the Confederacy, birthplace of civil rights, on the same medallion, from the same city. I, I, I stood there. I, I, at first I thought it was a joke, so having information at my disposal, I pulled my phone out and Googled and found out, yep, that's the seal. You can Google it too. Some of you already have started, I know. I did it last night to check, so you know. It, it's, that's what's still the same way. That's the seal of the city of Montgomery. And I stood there for a minute, and I thought, wait a minute. How like God? How like God to take a place, a city, that was the cradle of the Confederacy and birth civil rights movement in this nation out of that same place? Why would God do that? Because mercy, mercy sees past the human division. The man got off of his donkey and he didn't care that it was a Jewish man in the side of the road. He didn't care that if that Jewish man had been healthy, he wouldn't have even walked on the same side of the road as the Samaritan. He didn't care about all the, the racial slams and all the hurt and brokenness he experienced from Jewish people. There was a man on the side of the road bleeding and he got off his donkey and he went to help. I have a friend, an acquaintance named Reggie McNeil. He's a Christian author and consultant for churches and cities as they try to bring about healing. And, and Reggie wrote a book a few years back, about 10 years now, the title of it is Get Off Your Donkey. I said, Reggie, could you have been more biblical? He said, I'm not saying that in church, Carrie. I'm not, I'm not saying that in church, okay? Get off your, no, we're not doing that. But, but basically what Reggie was trying to say, what I'm trying to say to you today, is that, is that salvation comes, eternal life comes, from the response of mercy that sees past division, but also it produces something in you when you experience it. You wanna know how to have eternal life, Jesus says? Follow what you already know. Well, I've already done that, so tell me, who's my neighbor? Hey, let me ask you a question. Which one of these three men, the religious guys, or the Samaritan was neighbor, was companion, was friend to the man on the side of the road. I, I really, I, I wish I could have been there. If nothing else, just to see the look on that man's face. A man who's schooled and taught his entire life in the law of Moses, who's come forward to test Jesus, and now suddenly Jesus just goes, bam. <laughs> 
Here you go. You want to know how to have eternal life? Do what you know how to do by loving people around you. And don't choose who to love. Just love them all. You see, mercy produces a life of compassion. This man saw him on the side of the road and he had compassion. And then he did something. And this is the part that had the lawyer stuck. It's the part that I think sticks most of us. It really is. It's where we're just like, I don't know if I want to do that. See, he took a risk. See, when he got off the donkey and went to help the man, when he took the bandages and he took the oil and he took the wine and he was trying to help the man on the side of the road, he didn't know that the robbers were gone. He was literally risking his own life in order to help the man on the side of the road. Maybe that's why the priest and the Levite went on by. (laughs) Maybe they just didn't want to take that big a risk. See, mercy produces a life of compassion. There are lots of us who have compassion. Oh, whoa. I mean, you know, all you got to do is see some of the commercials on television. Oh, my goodness. Here, let me write a check. Let me, let me, no, listen. Compassion makes you take a risk. Jesus' compassion draws you out and makes you take a risk. And what what Jesus tells us is, that's what love is. That's what mercy is. Mercy produces compassion, yes, but it also leads you to take a risk. And then, oh, this is the part I love. Take responsibility for that person who's been wounded. I mean, and we read past it so quickly. He took the man, he bandaged him, he put him on his donkey, he took him to the inn, he took care of him. The next day he gave the man, the innkeeper, two denarii. He said, oh yeah, okay, well, what? no, no, listen. One, in that culture at that time, one night lodging and food in an inn in Israel in that time frame was one-twelfth of one denarii. A denarii was one day's work. So he gave him two days, the value of two days' work, and then he gave him, and then he gave him a promise. He gave him three weeks, actually a little more than three weeks. If you do the math, it comes out to 24 days. And then says to the innkeeper, look, if you need more than this, if I don't get back here before, listen, you know me, I travel up and down this road most of the time. Here, I will take responsibility for whatever you have to do for him. Friends, no wonder when Jesus turned and looked at the lawyer and said, which one of these guys was neighbor? Which one of these was companion? Which one of these people was friend? man said, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus turned and Jesus said, then you do the same. This morning, January 15th, 2023, could you be hearing the Spirit of God tell you the same thing? Could you be hearing the Spirit of God say to you, you know what? Having all the information about what you should do doesn't transform you. You're just like the lawyer who's testing Jesus. And, and you know what? 
All the religious rituals that you go through, those don't really make you right with God. The Levite and the priest knew all the rituals. But the question is, have you experienced the mercy of Jesus? Have you experienced the love of Christ in your life to such a point that you see past the human divisions and you embrace the compassion, the risk, and the responsibility of the relationships God has blessed you with in your life? If you're on campus, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. If you're with us online, I'm going to ask you to, to find a place where you can pray. Because here on campus, to my right, to your left, our staff missionaries, Larry and Leanne Sellers, are with us today. And um, they'll be flying back this week to Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire. And um, there they will make their home and continue to serve not just the people of Cote d'Ivoire, but also all the French-speaking language peoples in, in Africa, particularly West Africa. And so um, I've asked them if they would allow us to do something that we haven't done since COVID started. See, we have a tradition here when we send people out that we lay hands on them and pray. And so there's this song became very popular during the pandemic. And I've asked the vocal team, we're, we're going to sing it. I'm going to ask you to sing it with them. And Larry and Leanne are going to come to this altar right down here. And if you want to come and lay hands on them as we commission them back to, the, to this place of service that God has called them, then I invite you to do that. And maybe, just maybe, while we're praying for them, God is speaking to you and he's saying, hey, you need to really love your neighbor in the same way that Samaritan loved the Jewish man on the side of the road. Or maybe he's saying, you know what? You've just been settling for the information. I wanna give you a part of myself. Whatever it is, if you wanna come and pray, there are altars here for you to come to as well. As we sing, Let's be a blessing to everyone around us.
Would you pray with me? Abba, Papa, Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus was so willing to come and be here and to tell us stories about you and to show us how you would love people and invite us to be those kinds of people who receive mercy and who give mercy who receive love and who give love, who receive forgiveness and who give forgiveness. Forgive us for the times when we fail to live into that relationship, when we've settled for information and we've settled for ritual, and when we've actually been a part of the dividing of your children. Help us to be moved by your love in our life to such a point that that we will be your love in the lives of others. And today, Lord, we particularly ask you to be with Larry and Leanne, with the church, our brothers and sisters in the Ivory Coast. And we pray that together with all your people all around the world, we would see you. We would see you clearly and we would go and do likewise. For it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.